Last week, um, Sean started our series called Faith Works, and, and he really just kind of laid down a framework of what biblical faith really is. You know, I don't know about you, but I feel like last week I really learned some things about faith and how it works, and, and it kind of changed my perspective a little bit. Last week, we learned that 89% of the time in Scripture, when the word faith is used, It's actually translated from a Greek word, and it means divine persuasion. Divine persuasion. So we can infer that faith isn't something that we can conjure up on our own, right? Faith isn't something that we can um, will ourselves or strong arm ourselves into having more faith. We can't build it up in ourselves. It actually comes from God, and it actually comes from being divinely persuaded by God to see things the way he sees them. Divinely persuaded by God to see things the way he sees them. So this morning I wanna use a very familiar scripture as our text and most of you probably know it. It's 2 Corinthians 5 verse seven and it simply says this, for we live by faith, not by sight. For we live by faith and not by sight. So if I were to kind of rewrite this text in my own words, using that definition of faith that we discovered last week, I could say something like this. I could say, um, as believers, we live by divine persuasion, not by human sight. We live through a lens of faith, through God's lens, not the lens of this world, not the lens of culture, not the lens of practicality, but the lens of faith. You see, God is divinely persuading us to see things the way he sees them. You see, faith is the lens that we as believers should see all things through. Faith is the lens that if you are a believer, you should see all things through. Now, how many of you know that the lens that you look through affects what you see, right? Whatever lens you look look through, it's going to affect what you see. Let me give you an example this morning. Now, I don't have very good eyesight. Uh, I need corrective lenses, either contacts or glasses in order to be able to see properly. So, um, side note, if you see me out somewhere and you're kind of far off, and I don't have my glasses on, don't think I'm being rude to you. I can't see you. (laughs) And so it's happened to me many times. Like people are like, we waved and you just didn't even see us. I'm like, oh, I didn't have my glasses on. Sorry, sorry. So so I I don't see really well unless I have the proper lens. And see, the thing is that not just any old lens will do, right? Okay, so I could have these lenses And I mean, although they do make me look really cool, they really do not help me see clearly. They they really don't do much in that. I have these goggles here, and you know, I although they might help keep water out of my eyes, they they really do nothing when it comes to helping me to see more clearly. I've got these protective goggles that I wear for my DIY projects, you know, so that we don't get sawdust in our eyes. And they're really good at protecting your eyes, but these lenses do nothing to help me see properly. Now these, these are my glasses, okay? These are the ones that are specially designed to help me see clearly. 
And it's only when I have these glasses on that I can actually see your faces. And I'm going to take them off because I'd rather not see your faces while I'm speaking. That way I won't know what you're thinking. But see... The thing is, is that there are all types of lenses, but only my glasses, specifically designed, actually help me see clearly. And the world, the world offers us all kinds of different lenses to choose to see life through. But only when we are looking through the lens of faith can we really see clearly. Only when we're looking through the eyes and through the lens of faith. This morning, we're going to be focusing on looking through the lens of faith for our provision. You know, my prayer is is that as we talk today, that you will be divinely persuaded to see God as your provider. I believe that God wants to provide for us. It's, It's in his very nature to provide for us mentally, emotionally, physically, spiritually, In fact, you know, one of the names of God is actually Jehovah Jireh, and that means our provider. It's who he is. But I think that there's many times we as believers have a hard time seeing God as our provider. You know, maybe it's because you've been disappointed, or maybe it's because we've become disillusioned, and maybe we have a wrong perspective about what provision actually is. You see, God is not a genie in a bottle. Your wish is not his command, okay? Scripture promises us that he will provide for our needs, but it doesn't say he'll provide for all of our greed. He's not obligated to to give us all of our hopes and desires and wishes, but somehow we as a society, society, we have this warped mentality of what it means to have God's provision, We've, we've somehow bought into this lie that, that says that if we struggle, then that must mean that God hasn't provided. We, we expect and we feel entitled to this life of ease and, and comfort, and yet nowhere in Scripture can I find that promised. Nowhere in Scripture can I see it lived out in the lives of Jesus or in the lives of his disciples who were in fact beaten, imprisoned, ridiculed, and even killed for their faith. You know, sometimes I think the prayers we pray aren't actually asking for God's provision, but we're actually kind of asking God for prevention. Prevention from all of our problems and all of our struggles and and everything that we might need him for. And the issue is that when we do that, we're asking God to give us a life that we don't need him. And he's not going to answer that prayer because he wants us He is more interested in our surrender than he is in our success. It's hard to have faith for God's provision when we have the wrong mindset of what provision is. We need God to divinely persuade us this morning what his provision actually looks like. So today, I want to talk about three truths about God's provision. And the first one is this. Number one, God may provide differently than you expect. God may provide differently than you expect. Isaiah 55, 8 and 9 says, My thoughts are nothing like your thoughts, says the Lord, and my ways are far beyond anything you could imagine. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so my ways are higher than your ways, and my thoughts are higher than your thoughts. 
Ecclesiastes 11.5 says, just as you cannot understand the path of the wind or the mystery of a tiny baby growing in its mother's womb, so you cannot understand the activity of God who does all things. How many of you know that God is a God of the unexpected? He doesn't always make sense, and I know for sure he doesn't always consult with me about how I think he should do things. When people say that God works in mysterious ways, they aren't lying. It's crazy. It's unexpected. Let's look at a time in the Bible when God provided differently than we would have expected. And and honestly, as I was studying, I was like, man, we could look at almost every story in the Bible because God is constantly providing differently than we would expect. I mean, if we can expect anything from God, it's that we can expect him to do it differently than we expect, right? So let's take a look at the story of Jonah. And I heard a teaching on Jonah, and the pastor pointed out some key things in the story, and it really made me see things differently than I had before. And so I just kind of want to share them with you today because I think it might help you to be able to see God's provision in a new light. So most of you probably know the story of Jonah, but I'm going to tell you a quick, shortened version just in case there's anyone here or just in case you need a little refresher. So God called Jonah to go and preach to the people of Nineveh. And let me tell you about Nineveh. Nineveh, there were some bad dudes in Nineveh. I mean, they were evil. They were corrupt. They were rotten. You didn't want to go there. That was not the place to be. And so Jonah was like, sorry, God. I mean, I love you and all, but no way. I ain't doing it. I'm not going. So he disobeyed God and he went and he got on a boat or a ship and he headed in the opposite direction of where God wanted him to go. While he was on that ship, God sent this storm that threatened to destroy the ship. I mean, the winds and the waves were raging. And as the sailors are being tossed back and forth and going crazy and and wondering if they're going to die, they had this bright idea that they were going to figure out who was responsible for bringing this horrible storm, this bad luck upon them. So the Bible says that they cast lots, but basically that just means they played eeny, meeny, miny, moe until they figured out that this This storm was Jonah's fault for disobeying God. So they decided what any good sailor would do. The best way to appease this angry God was to make Jonah walk the plank. Throw that dude overboard. Get him out of here. He's bringing all this destruction upon us. Get rid of him. Well, God was gracious to Jonah and he sent this big old fish to swallow him up so that he wouldn't drown. And Jonah stayed in the belly of that fish for three days, and while he was in there, he had quite a come-to-Jesus moment. Have you ever been there? (laughs) I mean, I can't imagine if I was in that belly of that fish, I think I would have been doing some backpedaling, and just like Jonah was, God, if you get me out of here, I promise I will do what you told me to do in the first place. So the fish barfs him up right on the shore, and then Jonah obeyed God, and he went to Nineveh to preach. Now, most of the time in Sunday school, we stop right there. And, you know, that's a great story, great moral. Follow Jesus, follow what God tells you to do, um, and all will be well. But there's actually a little bit more to the story. So, So let's go on a little bit. So after he goes and he preaches to Nineveh, the way that God told him to, this horrible, awful city, they hear the message and they actually begin to repent. 
and turn from their ways. And, and God begins to give them mercy and to be gracious to them. And you know what? Jonah got mad, <laughs> which is kind of, I don't really understand it because he definitely had no problem when God was giving him mercy just a few days later in the belly of a smelly old fish, but that is beside the point. Jonah was upset. So, so Jonah leaves Nineveh again. He goes and he sets himself right out, the, out of the city gates and he just kind of has himself a little pity party. And he's just kind of pitiful and pouting and kind of mad about life and everything. And while he's sitting there, man, it's hot. And the sun is scorching and the heat is beating down. And, and while he's sitting there, God actually provides a leafy plant to grow up right beside him and cover his head and comfort him and help him to be comfortable and not be scorched by the heat. And man, Jonah started changing his tune a little bit then. He's like, okay, God, you know, thanks for this plant. I'm sorry, I'm being such a loser, but it's okay. So he, he gets to rest for the night, but then the next morning, God sends a worm to eat the plant, so it withers and it dies. And, and then all of a sudden again, I mean, Jonah's very emotional, up, down, all around. He gets mad again, and he's like, God, how can you do this to me? What in the world? But basically, God just told Jonah to stop being concerned about the plant and about the worm, and to be concerned about the people of Nineveh that he had been called to reach. Now, obviously, that was the Christa Sanseverino revised and edited version of the story, but if you actually read the book of Jonah in the Hebrew, you would see a Hebrew word that's used multiple times in this story, and that word is manah. And manah actually means provision, and the first time we see that word is, is when, sailors, when the sailors throw Jonah off the boat. And the scripture actually says that the Lord Manah, the Lord provided a huge fish to swallow him up. Then later in the story when Jonah was throwing his little pity party outside the city gates, we see that word Manah used again when scripture says God Manah or God provided a leafy plant to give him shade. Then the last time we see that word, manah, it's kind of really strange and it doesn't really make sense at first glance. It's after God provides the leafy plant, the scripture goes on to say that God manah, or God provided a worm to eat the plant so it would wither and die. Now, remember, we're talking about how God doesn't always provide in the way that we expected. So, so it's easy to see that God was providing for Jonah when he sent the fish to save him from drowning, right? And, and it's really easy to see how God was providing for Jonah when he sent the plant to shade him and make him comfortable. But what about the worm? Like, God provided something to destroy something that he provided? It just doesn't make sense. Why would the writer use the same word for the fish that he used for the plant that he used for the worm? Well, you see, the book of Jonah, it isn't written um, like in real time. Jonah it wasn't sitting there writing uh, in his diary. It was actually written by someone else years later who was looking back on Jonah's story and was telling it from his perspective. And, and from that perspective, they could see that it wasn't just God's provision to send the fish, and it wasn't just God's provision to send the shade plant, but that it was actually also God's provision to send the worm so that Jonah wouldn't get so comfortable under the shade tree that he forgot what he had been sent to Nineveh to do. You see, God provided the worm 
to keep Jonah on track. We might not always see God's provision clearly in the moment. We might not recognize it because it looks different than we expected. Because we don't know the full story. We can't see the big picture the way God can. I'm going to ask you a question this morning. What if, just what if, some of your life's greatest disappointments are actually some of God's greatest provision? What if some of your life's greatest disappointments are actually God's greatest provision? Maybe the things that you were frustrated with or that didn't happen when you thought they should happen, maybe that was actually God providing for you, saving you, keeping you from something that you didn't even know. What if we were able to look at our life through the lens of faith and and we could get to the point where we trusted God so much that we could say, if God didn't give it, then I don't need it. If God didn't give it, then I don't need it because we know that God's provision is perfect provision. God's provision is perfect provision. So the second truth I want us to look at today is that number two, God's most important provision is for the needs of our spirit. God's most important provision is for the needs of our spirit. You know, our greatest need is not for more money. It's not for better health. It's not for an easier life. Our greatest need is for more of God. And that is something that he will gladly give. We're going to look at Ephesians 1 verse 3, and Pastor Sean used it in his message last week, and it's such a powerful scripture if we can actually understand and and really claim this as truth in our own lives. It says this, all praise to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realms because we are united with Christ. You see, when we are in Christ, we have been provided with every spiritual blessing. And those blessings are our provision to make it through this life. But what are these spiritual blessings? You know, sometimes we read scriptures and we're just like, oh, yay, spiritual blessings, ha <laughs> woo But what is a spiritual blessing? And, and honestly, there's not time enough for me to name all the spiritual blessings. We could go on and on and on. But let's just look in the, in the verses, Ephesians um, 1, 3 through 10. Let's just look at a few of the blessings that we are promised in these scriptures. Ephesians 1 4 says, Even before he made the world, God loved us and chose us in Christ to be holy and without fault in his eyes. Two blessings or two provisions that I see here are that we are loved and we are chosen. We are loved and we are chosen. How crazy that before he even created the world, he was thinking of ways to love you and to choose you. Moving on to verses five and six, it says, God decided in advance to adopt us into his own family by bringing us to himself through Jesus Christ. This is what we wanted to do, and it gave him great pleasure. So we praise God for the glorious grace he has poured out on us who belong to his dear son. In these verses, I see a lot of things, but two of the things I see is his provision of grace and adoption. Grace and adoption. You see, he didn't just love us enough to choose us to be a part of his fan club or to be one of his servants. No, he actually gives us full status as his kids and all the benefits that come with it. Now, 
if you guys were to go and visit my parents' house, you would have to go to the door and ring the doorbell or knock on the door and, and wait for someone to open the door and invite you in. And then once you got inside, you would have a seat and you would then have to wait for someone to offer you something to drink or if you wanted a snack or something like that. But when I go to my parents' house, I just walk right in. Even if they're not home, I can still walk right in because I have a key and I know the security code. And when I walk in my parents' house, I go straight to the refrigerator and not the main refrigerator that everybody sees. I know where the secret refrigerator is in the laundry room where they keep the good stuff. You know, like Diet Dr. Pepper. Yeah. I go to that fridge. I get my Diet Dr. Pepper. Then I can walk right over to that pantry, open it up, and I can see, I can choose whatever I want. I can have more than one snack if I want. I I can eat whatever I want. Now, what is... Why is it socially acceptable for me to do that and and probably not socially acceptable for you guys to do that? Because I'm their kid. I'm their kid. And because of that, I have access to all the good stuff. I have access to all the good stuff. Well, I have some good news for you this morning. If you are in Christ, you are his kids. And you have access to all of his good stuff. Grace is yours. Peace is yours. Joy is yours. It's all yours. He's already provided it. Isn't that incredible? Isn't that exciting? The provision that he has given us as his kids. Ephesians 1, 7 says, He is so rich in kindness and grace that he purchased our freedom with the blood of his son and forgave our sins. Here we see the provisions of redemption and forgiveness. You see, redemption speaks of buying someone's freedom or paying a ransom. And and I want to tell you this morning, the price for our sins and, and the payment to buy us out of eternal condemnation was fully paid for by the blood of Jesus Christ on the cross. And in Christ, we are no longer slaves to sin, but we have been redeemed and forgiven. Verses 8 and 10 goes on to say, he has showered his kindness on us along with all wisdom and understanding. God has now revealed to us his mysterious will regarding Christ, which is to fulfill his own good plan. At the right time, he will bring everything together under the authority of Christ, everything in heaven and earth. These verses show us that God has provided us with wisdom and understanding to know his plan. His desire is is to bring everything together to glorify Christ and, and by aligning ourselves with him by our faith, we actually get to be a part of his great plan and his great purpose. Man, isn't it amazing to see all of the ways we can see God has been providing for us, providing for if our needs, our spiritual needs, these spiritual blessings, if we just begin to look through the lens of faith. We're talking about three truths about God's provision. Number one, God may provide differently than we expect. Number two, God's most important provision is for the needs of our spirit. And number three, finally this morning, God will provide completely in eternity. 
God will provide completely in eternity. You know, Hebrews chapter 7 is often referred to the, the great hall of faith. It's referred to as the great hall of fame of faith. It, it lists out all of these great men and women of the Bible who lived out their lives through this lens of faith. It, there's Abel and Noah and Abraham, Sarah, Jacob, Joseph, Rahab. The list just goes on and on and on. But Hebrews 11 gives us two very different perspectives about God's provision for us. You see, some of the heroes that it lists, they came through life victorious. They received their promise, and and, and it was incredible. But others actually lost their lives or even died before seeing their promise come to pass. And yet both groups are commended for their great faith. You see, God doesn't always provide for us in this life the way we might expect it. The Bible actually never promises us that. Paul, along with many of the disciples, gave up their very lives for the gospel because they believed that the gospel was this this great treasure and it was not to be lost at any cost. They, They suffered gladly because they knew that they had something far more valuable than life itself. You see, life is fleeting. Life is, it's fragile. Scripture says it's like a vapor here today and then gone tomorrow. But the next life, our eternity with Christ, that is where all of God's provision will ultimately make sense. You see, that is where his provision will be complete. You know, there are many times that we don't receive healing in this life but we will receive fully in eternity. You know, we may not see the answers to some of our greatest prayers in this life, but we will receive fully in eternity. Some days God's provision may seem so distant, but in eternity it will be ever-present. We long for our world to stop raging and to be at peace, but ultimate peace will only come in eternity. You see, our hearts, they ache under the pressures of this life and the things of this world, but that is because we were not made for this world. We were made for another world. We were made for eternity. Ecclesiastes 3.11 says, He has made everything beautiful in its time, and he has set eternity in their hearts. There are some of God's provisions that we won't finally realize until eternity. But what a great hope we have that we have eternity to experience them. So as we look through the lens of faith this morning to see God's provision in our lives, I hope that you have been divinely persuaded to see that that God may provide differently than we expect. You know, it won't always look the way that we think it should or come the way we want it or the, the time we think is proper. It may even take us some time to recognize that it was actually provision, but I can promise that he does provide. You know, I hope that we've been divinely persuaded this morning that God's most important provision is for the needs of our spirit. I hope that you've been convinced that God has already provided you with every spiritual blessing in Christ, that you have everything you need. You're his kid and you have access to all the good stuff. And lastly, let's remember that 
Though sometimes on this earth we may not see all of God's provisions fully, God will provide completely in eternity. It's easy to get wrapped up in what's happening right now, right in front of us, but we can't forget that this life here on earth is just the first chapter of eternity's story. It's just a blip on the radar. And though we may not see every promise come to pass in this life, in eternity, all of God's provision will be fully known. Our takeaway this morning is this. When we look through the lens of faith, we will see God's provision all around us. When we look through the lens of faith, we will see God's provision all around us.